<laughs> well, hello. Good morning, uh, everybody. My name is Michael. I am glad uh, you're here, especially uh, if you're here for the first time uh, or have been sick for like a year. Welcome back to you. Um, uh, but seriously, if you are here for the first time, uh, I'm really glad. I'm not sure how you found us, but I'm certainly glad you did. Uh, and I wanted to give, um, uh, when you came in this morning, uh, this is just for the women. So last week, last Sunday night at uh, 6.30, the men gathered for uh, something called Fight Club. Uh, and there was about uh, 30 guys uh, who showed up for that, which was pretty awesome. Uh, so ladies, the, the, it's out there. So the challenge has been set. So uh, tonight, 6.30, uh, we're going to gather for the first ever uh, Fight Club. And so if you're curious to know what Fight Club is, uh, just come check it out. Uh, there's going to be a, a spiritual component, a relational component, uh, and a physical uh, component uh, as well. Uh, so we'll get done probably around uh, 8 o'clock, so 6.30 uh, to 8 o'clock. A uh, great way certainly to connect with other women uh, within uh, the community. Uh, but Fight Club is pretty intense, pretty intentional of training and equipping uh, tonight specifically uh, women for what it looks like to be uh, godly women and how to fight actually a good fight. Uh, I know women probably don't think in terms of fighting and MMA and rings and stuff like that, but uh, the Apostle Paul throughout uh, New Testament just uses this imagery uh, of a boxer and fighting and training uh, himself and beating his body and just getting himself into uh, shape, as it were, both physically but uh, even more so spiritually, and many of us don't know how to do that, and so that's what Fight Club uh, essentially is about. So come out tonight at uh, 6.30. Gentlemen, would you give a, a shout-out, recommendation? It would be good for the women to come to that? I heard a hoorah, so I've heard that uh, from my Marine friends, but Navy as well, potentially. Hoorah? Anyone? All right. Gotcha. Um, uh, this morning, uh, I just wanted to pray uh, as we got going. Uh, certainly just pray for our time this morning, but uh, if you've been paying attention uh, at all to the news. Uh, uh, there was yet again another earthquake uh, that hit uh, Chile uh, about two days ago. And so uh, estimates are, are not really in yet, but uh, the devastation, uh, about two million people have already been displaced uh, because of this uh, earthquake. Um, and I want to just continue praying for Haiti. Uh, I know it's not on most people's radar, because if you don't pay attention to Fox News or CNN, we don't think about things, but the reality is there are still people who are suffering and in great need now both in Chile as well as Haiti. And as a church, I just want us to be faithful to uh, praying for those that are around us. And I know we don't see them, but um, uh, God is at work there and we want to pray into that. So join me as I pray for that. Father God, we give thanks uh, that you are good, you are gracious, you are kind, you are faithful. Uh, God, that you love, that you first reached out uh, to us. Uh, God, I do pray that if there is anyone in here uh, this morning uh, that doesn't know you as Father, that doesn't know you as friend, uh, that does not know you as Savior, as Redeemer, does not have a relationship uh, with you, uh, a relationship based on grace, not uh, performance. Uh, God, I pray that uh, today would be um, a day where uh, many, uh, God, how many ever here would meet you for that first time uh, as Father, as Friend, as Savior. Uh, and God, for those that are here that have been uh, maybe walking with you for a while, uh, God, I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged, blessed, convicted, uh, where needs be, and equipped uh, just to keep walking with you uh, just faithfully. Uh, God, our hearts um, uh, just go out to those uh, now in Chile who are just, um, God, just enduring uh, this disaster. Um, God, I can't fathom... Uh, what it's like to be on the ground there right now, but uh, with over two million people displaced and thousands uh, among the dead, we just pray, God, um, that you would be God, uh, that you would reveal yourself in the midst of a lot of pain right now, God, that you would just provide uh, for immediate needs. And uh, God, for people uh, in Chile, for people even around the world are asking questions like, where is God and how could God allow something like this? God, I pray you would reveal yourself to them um, so that they would know who you are and how good and gracious you actually are. Uh, God, we pray for Haiti as well, as it's uh, been now about seven weeks uh, since that disaster hit. Uh, but Lord, the nation of Haiti still lies uh, devastated. Uh, so God, we pray that you would continue to uh, just raise up men and women uh, to send resources uh, to go themselves 
uh, and to be part of rebuilding uh, not just a nation, God, but we pray that you would raise up Christians who would have a heart um, to go and encourage people with the good news and with the gospel. And uh, God, I'm already excited to hear about uh, some things with churches helping churches going on. So uh, God, I pray you would strengthen the church in Chile, strengthen the church in Haiti, uh, that the church would be effective uh, in coming alongside people holistically, both physically and helping to meet uh, obvious needs, uh, but God, also coming alongside people spiritually. Uh, God, that people would come to know you uh, through a devastation uh, such as this. Uh, God, bless uh, the time that we have together. We know and believe that uh, your scripture, uh, it's alive, it's living, active, and it can speak to every heart and soul uh, that's in this place. And God, only you know where everyone is. And I just pray in Jesus' name that uh, we could leave this place saying we, we heard from God. Uh, we interacted uh, with God. Uh, you can do that, and God, we ask in Jesus' name uh, that you would. I, I pray that in your name. Amen. All right, so I don't know if you caught this, but as you were saying hello to one another, uh, Bare Naked Ladies, uh, which is a band, um, was playing a, a little ditty uh, called If I Had a Million Dollars. Um, it's a catchy little tune, uh, cute little lyrics, uh, but it actually poses a pretty interesting question of, if I had a million dollars, what would I do? So, what would you do? Hypothetically, uh, what would you do if you actually just had uh, a million dollars? Uh, one of the things that uh, I don't think in this church has happened uh, enough, and I don't think happens in churches in general, is we don't talk about money. Uh, we never talk about money. It's a taboo subject, and if you're here for the first time, you're like, great, he's already bringing up money. Um, yes, I am. So if you had a million dollars, what would you do with that? Uh, a lot of us ask questions or at least wonder, um, you know, if I was rich, uh, what would I do with the, the richness or the wealth uh, that I would have? And today, as we talk about what Jesus talks about, actually. Um, I don't want to ask what would you do, actually, with a million dollars. It's a catchy tune. But I uh, want to ask more of a question of what kind of rich do you actually want to be? Because uh, there's different kinds of rich. And uh, one of the things in Scripture talks about is just rich in the ways of the world, meaning you've got the million dollars or the 10 million or even more, uh, whatever amount would classify you as rich. Uh, but there's another rich uh, that God talks about, that Jesus talks about, is being rich towards God. And so this morning, I just, what kind of rich, not how rich do you want to be, and not even what would you do with your riches, uh, but what kind of rich uh, do you actually want to be? Um, if you are, I'll be the first to stand up on this question, so a little exercise, prepare yourselves. If you are currently struggling, Jake, what are you doing? I haven't asked yet. He already knows. If you are currently struggling, I mean currently, right now, as you sit here today, struggling with any type of worry or anxiety about anything, stand up. All right. That's about 99% of you. Um, second question uh, would be, is if you don't want to have worry or anxiety over whatever it is that you're thinking about right now, sit down. If you want to be completely free from worry and anxiety, sit down. Thank you, Jake, for sitting down on that one as well. It's good you found a seat. Uh, I'm sitting as well. Um, next week, we're going to talk about worry and anxiety. Jesus says, don't do it. It's a sin if you do. Uh, and that's one of the other subjects we don't talk about much is worry, because we all do it and no one wants to talk about it. So, I'm mentioning worry and anxiety now because if we get today right, you will be uh, on your way to living a life that is free of worry and anxiety. So what we talk about today is going to certainly set up next week. But if you get this, when I say get this, I mean live this. Like not just head knowledge, like mentally agree with it, but if you not only agree with it, but embrace this, uh, what we're going to talk about today uh, you can stay seated, meaning the next time someone asks you the question, do you have worry and anxiety in your life, you can say, heck no, I don't. 
I'm completely free of worry and anxiety in my life. Like, where could you ever go and meet someone who would actually be able to say, I've got, I'm not worried about anything. Yeah, I've got stuff going on in my life, and things sometimes get confusing and chaotic, but I don't have worry about it. I don't have anxiety about it. And I firmly believe if you know God, you're walking with Jesus and doing the things, embracing what we're talking about today, you can be an individual who actually can sit next time that question is asked. I firmly believe that. All of us, I think all of us stood. And I would so long for us as a community, next time, whether it's here or someone else, you can actually say, I can sit this one. I don't have to stand because I'm free. Um, Let me read uh, the text. Uh, This is Matthew uh, chapter 6. We're walking through Jesus preaching to us in the gospel of Matthew. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, today he's talking about money. He's talking about treasure. I'm going to read the whole story. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Read verse 21 again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on, the eye is the lamp of the body. Metaphor here. Eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, great question, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, powerful verse. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Powerful verse here. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, Chalk this up as some commentary, as it were, on money, some opening statements, because I I realize anytime money is talked about, people get all fidgety and like, I just want to bail. I don't want to talk about money. Number one, money is non-moral, okay? Neither, it's neither good nor bad. It's just money. It's just what it is, okay? So money is non-moral. It's really what we do with it or uh, what we'll talk about today, what it does with us, okay? Money is non-moral. Number two, there's a vital connection between your faith in God and what you do with your money. A vital connection between your faith whether you're growing in your faith in God and uh, with your money. Billy Graham said this, tell me what you think about money. If you don't know Billy Graham, he's about uh, almost 90 years old. He's been walking with God, I think, from when he was born in the hospital. And um, (laughs) just a godly guy, okay? He says this, tell me what you think about money, and I will tell you what you think about God. I agree with that. Number three, money cannot, no matter what the song says, money cannot buy you love, happiness, nor does it give your life meaning, purpose, value, and worth. Money cannot do that for you. Uh, A comedian, playwright, Spike Milligan, says this, all I ask is for the chance to prove that money can't make me happy. (laughs) Now, I know many of us would agree, like, I get that money can't buy me love, it can't buy me happiness, it can't buy me all of these things, but we live trying to prove it wrong. So opening statement, uh, money cannot buy you love, happiness, nor does it give your life meaning, purpose, value, significance, or worth. Number four, there is more to you than what you have or don't have. There is more to who you are as one who bears God's image, one who's been created by God, for God, than just your stuff, than your possessions. Uh, Jesus says this, Luke 12, 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life cannot be just seen in how, what your house looks like, or how your house is decorated, what car you drive, or what you wear. Like, your life is so much more than just abundance of your possessions. Number five, most, and I'll preface most, not all, don't have a clue as to where our money goes. 
most of us, not all of us, but most of us don't have a clue as to where our money goes, which means we spend money we don't have, which drives us further into debt we don't want. Most of us don't have a clue as to where our money goes, and we keep spending and keep spending and keep spending and keeps driving us further and further into the debt we, we don't want. Number six, there's two more. Most, again, not all, but most don't have a plan for giving. We have a plan for saving. We have a plan for spending. Might not be a plan for spending. We're just good at it, but we have a plan for saving, maybe even for spending, but we don't have a plan for giving. The average American, and this is consistent in the church as well, is just a little bit over 2% of their, of their total income uh, goes to whether it's a church or other nonprofit type of organizations. Um, if we don't have a plan for giving, my contention is we'll do a lot more grabbing uh, than giving. We'll do a lot more hoarding, trying to amass more and more and more, because we don't have a plan. We don't have, we're not intentional in thinking about how we can give, where we can give, why we should give. Number seven, uh, and this is, I think, true of all of us, so I won't preface with not all, but I think all of us are way too private when it comes to money, meaning we don't have anyone that is talking to us about our money. We don't have anyone who's talking to us about what's coming in, what's going out, what we're giving, what we're saving, what we're spending. And so there are many of us who are lost in a world of debt and don't have a clue as to how to get out. And there's many of us who have the appearance, just because we dress nice and we take showers and brush our teeth, that, well, you look like you got your stuff together, but if you just peel back a little bit, we're dying in mountains and mountains of debt. And no one is asking, what are you doing with your money? How much is coming in? Where are you spending it? Where are you saving it? Where are you giving it? We're just too afraid to ask hard questions like that in fear of someone might ask me. If you ask me, what are you doing with your money or how is your giving and how is your spending? Are you being responsible, a good steward, that kind of thing? It's a good chance if you ask me that question, I'm gonna come right back at you and be like, well, I, I do terrible. How about you? Please get, like, what do you do? And we don't want people peeling back the layer and so we'd rather live in secrecy and I just don't think that's healthy. Jesus, uh, thankfully, uh, and thankfully the Bible, talks a lot about money. Okay, there's 38 parables that Jesus told. 16 of them deal with the issue of money. Five, if you look at Old Testament, New Testament combined, 66 books, letters, uh, there's roughly 500 some odd verses that deal with prayer, and there's 500 some odd verses that deal with faith. And so you get people who really love prayer and be like, I'm going to cling on to those verses. And I've got all these verses that talk about prayer, how we should pray. Then you've got people who are like, really, I've got all my verses on faith and we should be doing this and doing this. I got 2,000 verses that talk about money. So if you look at the totality of scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, it has so, it talks so much about money. I'm not trying to diminish prayer and I'm certainly not trying to diminish faith but I'm trying to elevate money, uh, that it's really a big deal. Uh, question, why so much talk about money? Because it can destroy your relationship with God. It can take you away from knowing God, walking with God, being with God. Uh, I mean, can also kill relationships. How many of you have actually experienced relationships where money has divided you? Something as simple as you let someone, you... you loan someone a hundred bucks. That person never gave you that money back. What do you think of that person now? Every time you see them, you're like, you owe me a hundred bucks. You don't say it, but you think it, and there's a divide in that relationship. For some, it's like 500, a thousand, maybe more. But the point is, money can kill our relationship, destroy our relationship with God, and money can destroy our relationships with one another. So I gave you some opening observations on money. This is my hope. I'm going to start with this and finish with this for you and for me, for Genesis as a church, as it, as it relates to money. This is my hope for us, is that we would be generous. 
I'm going to give you an equation later that I learned from another pastor where the equation is very simple. I give first, I save second, I live on the rest. My hope for us as a church is that we would be ridiculously generous. If someone was going to accuse you of something, they would accuse you of you are so generous, stop it. Rather than you're so greedy that we would be accused of being generous. We looked uh, two or three weeks ago about left-handed giving, where your right hand, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. It's just who we are. We just give. Second thing is that we would be good stewards of what God's entrusted to us. The mindset is, it's all God's. None of it belongs to me. I don't actually own anything. God's given me things and tasked me, charged me to be a steward of it or take care of it. So whatever you have, uh, that you would actually see it as God's and you would be a good steward of that. So when someone asks you, can I borrow this or can I have this? Can you lend me this? You're like, absolutely, because it's not mine anyways. Be a good steward. Number three, that we would be lovers of God, not gold, i.e. money. That we would just be lovers of God, not gold. And that through that love, that we would model a better way for people who love gold more than God. And they would see a difference like, you don't love the same things I do. You don't invest in the same things I do. You don't spend on the same things I do. But yet, you're more content than I am. Why is that? Because I love God. I don't love gold. I have gold. I'm faithful with it. I'm a good steward of it. I give a lot of it away, but I don't love it. I love God. And number four is that we would demonstrate that it's possible to live more with less. That it is possible to live more with less. It's safe to say, and I just felt convicted even opening my closet, I've got like eight pairs of jeans. I know you look at my jeans and you're like, well, they all have holes in them. I know. <laughs> Open my closet, I had like, I don't even know how many t-shirts or button-down shirts to choose from. I don't have many shoes. I just have a couple different pairs of flip-flops. So <laughs> We have so much. Just look at your pantry with food or in your refrigerator with food. and we, just, we have so much. I do believe that we can demonstrate to other people that it is possible to live more with less. This is what um, uh, Jesus uh, says uh, in Matthew 6, 19. Okay, he's going to give us, uh, throughout these verses, uh, a story, uh, a charge of contrasts. Two treasures, two visions, two masters. Uh, and we're going to have to choose one, and to do Robert Frost, you choose one, it will make the difference if you choose the right one. Do not store for yourselves <clears throat> treasures on earth where the moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Okay? I didn't read it like shouting it as it should have been, but Jesus says in verse 19, don't miss this conviction. Do not store up for yourselves treasures. Don't do it. Don't go there. I can just see Jesus preaching this with such passion in his voice. Don't do it. Don't store up for yourselves treasures that ultimately will not last. For those of you who are, uh, have a financial mind, which my mind does not work numbers, um, I'm not the financial guy, uh, but I at least understand this from a purely investment perspective with this one verse. Jesus says, if you invest in earthly treasures, it's a really bad investment. It just won't, it won't last, it won't work. It's a safe bet to say that if you had $1,000 today, $10,000 today, and you knew for sure that a company would crash tomorrow morning, it's a good chance you would not invest any money in that company. You would be silly to do so. Why? Because it's going to be gone tomorrow. You'll lose it all. Like we would not do that with a company, and this is what Jesus is saying, it is a very bad investment to invest in something that just won't last, something as small as an insect, something like rust and someone like a thief. And by the way, the thief here is not Robin Hood. It's not someone who's like really loves the poor, so they take from the rich to give to the poor. It's someone who's wicked and evil, and they steal in order so they can have more. So Jesus clearly just says, 
earthly treasures, it ultimately, it, it won't last at all. So the treasure, I guess a good question is, what is the treasure that Jesus is talking about? If you have in mind like a, a box with jewels and, and gold coins and Pirates of the Caribbean type of a theme, that's not what Jesus is talking about. A better way to think about this actually is not just treasure, but treasuring. What is it that you treasure? This is a value statement. This is what you value more than anything else. So if you're just asked the question, what is it that you value most? As you sit here today, what is it that is most important to you that you value more than anything else? Okay? Helpful questions, I hope, to help you decide what you actually do value. What consumes your thoughts? Like, what do you think about? Like, we all think, I hope, some of you give me blank stares today, I hope you're thinking. What do you think about most? What consumes, what do you daydream about? What consumes your checkbook? An author I read recently just said, you could write an entire life story just on a person's checkbook. And I agree. What consumes your checkbook? Where do you find yourself spending the most on? Would it be on clothes or food or toys? I mean, what consumes your checkbook? Here's a question. What would you be uh, unwilling to get rid of? Okay, say we uh, do a garage sale. And we all look for the junk we have. We can get rid of that. But what's the one thing you wouldn't get rid of? And why wouldn't you get rid of it? So what would you be unwilling to get rid of? Here's another one. What do you judge other people on? If you want to know what your treasure is, what you treasure most, value most, just look at how you judge other people. Women. You see other women, immediately you look them up and down more than guys do. You're looking at like what they're wearing, what their hair looks like, what kind of makeup they have, if they don't have any makeup on, you know, what kind of shoes they have on. Does You start immediately, okay, not all, but most, immediately judging on outward appearances. You know what that says about you. You value outward appearances because that's the standard in which you judge other people. Guys, you do the same thing. So if you want to know what you treasure, what you value most, just look at what, how you judge or the standard you use to judge other people. Last one. I'm trying to belabor this here. How do you know what you treasure, what you value most? Fill in the blank uh, to this sentence. If I just had, I would be set. If I just had, it would all be good. It would all be okay. What is the fill in the blank for you? It's a good chance whatever that fill in the blank is, that's what you treasure. That's what you value most. And the thing is, like what I treasure, what I value most, you might look at that and be like, really? Why? It has no value to you, but it has value to me. So if you've ever been uh, and worked around or worked with, talked with uh, a homeless person, if you've ever tried to move their cart, they, they'll kill you. Why? Because they value things that are in that cart. I would look at it and be like, why? I don't value that. So what we treasure, what we value might look very differently, but the point is still the same. What you value more than anything else, what you value most is what you treasure. So the question that Jesus is at, don't amass for yourselves treasures on earth. Little bugs, insects, eat it away. Little rust, destroy it, corrode it. Thieves will take it. Why do we amass treasure? Why do we do it? Here's my quick five, security. If I have this, I will just feel safe. I will feel secure. If I have whatever it is I'm treasuring, there's a certain worth or esteem or value that it brings to me. Why I'm at, it gives me a sense of power. If I hold on to this, cling on to whatever it is that I'm valuing. So security, a personal worth, some sense of power, independence. Because I have this, I don't need you. Because I have this, I don't need God. As long as I have this, not only am I secure, I have some sense of worth and power, but I also have some sense of autonomy, independence. 
I don't need anyone else because I got this. Or number five, pleasure. This, whatever this is, it just brings me pleasure. It's something that just, it's, it's momentary, but it, it brings me pleasure. I can indulge my every wish and want because of this. Jesus' point is what you think brings you security, worth, power, independence, pleasure, it won't last. It just won't last. What is your treasure? I've talked a lot about it. It's time for you to name it. I don't mean out loud, uh, but name it in your own mind and heart so you know what it is that you treasure value more than anything else. Money is a big one because of what we think money will do for us if I have it. So I can pick on a bunch of other things, whether it's stuff or relationships or just some other things. Those are big, but I'm going to guess for a lot of us, money is a really big treasure for us because we, we think about it a lot. We daydream about it. If, if I just had more of it, I'd be out of this mess. If I had more of it, I could get more of that. If I had more of it, I could do, I could go there, I could buy that. So I'm going to guess for a lot of us, money is a really big one. Jesus goes on, don't do that, but in verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I love that Jesus makes clear in no uncertain terms, heaven is immune. Heaven is completely immune to the ravages of time and sin. Like what you invest in heavenly treasure, no one can touch it. A moth can't do anything. A thief cannot steal it. Corrosion, rust won't touch it. I love that heaven is immune to the ravages of time and sin. I'm going to hopefully be practical here, but obvious question is how do I store up treasures in heaven? Okay, if you're at all convinced, maybe even convicted, that you don't want to store up and amass for yourself earthly treasure because it just won't last, and if you're at all beginning to think of, well, then how can I do it different? How can I do it better? What does it look like to live in such a way where I'm storing up for myself treasures in heaven? Number one, your character. Your character matters. Who you are becoming matters to God. That is a treasure to be stored up in heaven is who you are becoming. 1 Timothy 6 says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Paul makes clear to Timothy, a young pastor leading a young church, Timothy, tell yourself and tell them, godliness with contentment is of great gain. It's a good thing. Tell them to invest in godliness. Tell them to mature. Tell them to invest in their character and who they are and who they're becoming. Why? Because you brought nothing here, you can't take anything with you, Timothy. If anyone has any questions, just point to the truth that you came with nothing, you leave with nothing. So tell them to chase godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So your character is one treasure. Number, a second treasure would be your generosity. What you give. Remember, we'll talk about this later, but I give first, I save second, I live off the rest. Every time Jesus, that's an overstatement, not every time, about 85% of the time Jesus talks about treasure in heaven, you know what he's talking about? Give it all away. Be generous. This is just two verses, one by Jesus, one by Paul, Mark 10. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is the story of the rich young ruler, if you're familiar with it. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and then give it to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. Because your God is your gold. Get rid of your gold God. Give to the poor and then come back and follow me. This guy walked away. He couldn't handle. He wanted God as his gold or gold as his God. 
Jesus, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. First Timothy, again, Paul's instruction to young pastor Timothy. Command those who are rich. So Timothy, you got some rich people in your crew. There are some rich people in Ephesus, okay? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Timothy, tell them it's uncertain. What is so valuable today, it won't be valuable tomorrow. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I like this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, heaven, eternity, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What a great verse that you would, if you're generous, you are tapping into the life that is truly life. If you're not generous, you're not tapping into that life. You're missing it. Your character, your generosity, number three, your sacrifice. There are things that we will do this side of heaven that is called sacrificial living. Jesus promises the disciples, ultimately us as well. If you live sacrificially, that is storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Luke 18, Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. This is Peter's like, please tell me it's going to be worth it. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in the age to come eternal life. Peter, your bank account is not growing here, but it's growing in heaven. Whatever you sacrifice here for the sake, not for your sacrifice, so you look great, but for the sacrifice of the gospel, for the sacrifice of the kingdom, for the sacrifice of supporting God working in us, with us, through us in this world, that is going towards a bank account, as it were, in heaven. Your character, your generosity, your sacrifice. And then I like this last one, your witness. Your witness. I remember as a young kid growing up in the church, uh, I don't know how old I was, probably about 11, 12 years old. I don't really remember much of the message, uh, but I just remember a pastor making pretty clear, there's only one thing that you can ever take to heaven, it's someone else. I was like, huh, that's pretty interesting. And they're not riding on my coattails, they're with Jesus. But through my witness, I can tell other people about God God's generosity, God's son, God's gospel, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's compassion. I can be a witness to those things. And as I witness to those things, I am storing up for myself treasure in heaven. How many people have life insurance? Okay, handful of you, I should put my hand down. Okay, 10, 15 of you have life insurance. Do you know, just side note, do you know that you will never benefit from your life insurance? <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but you will never benefit. Other people will, and they'll probably fight over it after. But you personally will never benefit from your life insurance. What I love about treasure in heaven is I don't have to wait until I die to see any benefit from treasure being stored up in heaven. That's the way life insurance works. That's not the way treasure in heaven works. I begin to see the benefit because my character is growing. Generosity, sacrificial living and giving, my witness. I see God at work in my life and I see God at work around me. And I enjoy the benefit of seeing God at work before I die. And then when I die, I get to see with even a bigger picture, bigger eyes. Oh my gosh, God, that's what you were doing. This is the beauty of storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven because it makes a difference now. It matters now, but it matters then as well. The promise from Jesus is that if we lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven, it will last and it will make a difference now and throughout eternity. 
two treasures, earthly and heaven. Which one will you go for? Which one will you invest? Which one will you choose? Jesus goes on, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart in scripture almost always refers to the core of who you are, your essence, your being, just who you are. So if the heart represents the core of who we are, and if our treasure is seen in our money, if our treasure is seen in our stuff, then at the core of who I am, I'm just a greedy, materialistic human. But if at the core of who I am is earthly treasure, at the core, that means God is at the center of who I am and who I'm becoming. If at the core of who you are, you have you go the route of earthly treasure, at the core will be, like I said, greed or materialism or selfishness. But keep in mind, that core is married to something else. Meaning if greed is at your core, greed is married to emptiness. Always. Meaning you never have enough. How many people have had a phenomenal meal? You're like, oh my gosh, this was the greatest meal I've ever had. And two hours later, you're like, man, I'm hungry again. (laughs) Howard Hughes, rich, rich, rich guy, interviewed. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. He tastes the emptiness. That's why he goes for more. Greed is always married to emptiness. Materialism. You know what that's married to? Loneliness. Because you value stuff more than you value people. Selfishness. You know what selfishness? If that's at your core, you know what that's married to? Bitterness. Why? Because you're just angry at the world around you for what they've not done for you. If at the core of who you are is just selfishness, you're always looking at other people and like, why aren't you doing that for me? Why won't you give me that? Why won't you say these things to me? If our treasure, though, is in godliness and godly things, then at the core of who we are will be a heart fully devoted to God and his kingdom. So just, I guess, to sum up those few verses, at the end of the day, you just have to answer the question, do you want to live for now or do you want to live for eternity? I guess that's the simplest way to put it is if, if you want to live for now, then it's going to be showed up, showing up in just banking on earthly treasure. But if you live for the here and now, greed, materialism, selfishness, married to emptiness, lonely, and bitterness, I hope that you would decide, you know what? It is emptiness. It does. It won't last. I can't take anything with me. Why not go for things that will make a difference now and for eternity? Jesus gives a great metaphor, a picture here of the eye. Verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 22, the eye is a lamp of the body. Okay, this is true confession for you uh, from me. I think I am probably one of the most materialistic people I know. Okay? I honestly, I think, I just, I love stuff, specifically gadgets. Like, I just, okay, I converted to Apple two and a half years ago. Great decision. But now everything that Steve Jobs brings out, I'm like, yeah, I got to have that. Like the example of uh, the iPad, I didn't know I wanted it until I saw it. But once I saw it, I was like, yeah, I need that. (laughs) Like my eyes so quickly gravitate towards I see something and I thoroughly convince myself of these four things. I want that. I deserve that. I need that. I'll get that. The eye is so powerful. Your eye sees something and immediately it goes into this category of I got to have it. I don't just need it. I, I want it. And then after a while, you convince yourself, yeah, you know, this isn't really a want. This, I really do need this. 
I, if I don't have an iPad, I might die. $500 billion, that's a B, is spent on global advertising to give you and I one simple message. See it, like it, buy it. $500 billion is spent on global advertising every year. I can't even fathom what $500 billion would do in Haiti right now and what it would do in Chile. I'm not saying it would cover everything, but it would certainly go a long way. See it, like it, buy it. The eye, this is what Jesus is talking about, verse 22 and 3. The eye is the conduit to the inner person. So when your eye focuses on something, you put a value on what it is your eye is looking at. Your heart begins to get filled with wants and needs and desires. So Jesus says, if your eye is good, all of you will be good. But if your eye is bad, if your eye is messed up, all of you, all of your heart, the core of who you are, the being, it will be bad. If your eye is fixed upon earthly treasure, Jesus says, how great is the darkness of who you are and who you will be. But if your eye is good, if it's healthy, all of you will be filled with light. What do you do when you have a bad eye? What do you do when you have a bad eye, but you actually think you have a good eye? There's a lot of us who have bad eyes, but we think we have good eyes. So ask yourself the question, what are my eyes? Are they good or are they bad? I know when I see stuff, my eyes are like, I have to have it. I deserve it. I need it. Therefore, I will get it. What do you do if you have a bad eye, but you don't even realize it? I would challenge you to do this uh, today. Do this in your life groups this week. Ask the question. Ask others to help you with what you cannot see. Meaning, ask the question, ask those who are close to you, is there anything about me? Is there anything about my spending, my consuming? Is there anything about just my lifestyle, my toys that are inconsistent with who I claim to follow? Well, yeah, actually, since you asked, I've got a few things that I've always been wondering about you that kind of seems inconsistent with living a simple lifestyle and following Jesus. A practical example, every time I go to the mall, I just, I'm convinced that I need everything. I just feel like I just need new outfits, new wardrobes, new shirts, new jeans, new clothes. I just convinced myself that I need all of this stuff. One of the things, if you want to have a good, healthy eye, is guard what your eyes actually look at. Some of you actually need to stop going to the mall. Because every time you go, you're just convinced, oh, what I have here is not good enough. I need to have this. Some of you stop need to watch those design shows where they have these marvelous makeovers of a house and apartments. And you're like, man, I just live in a box. And you convince yourself, I need to have this from there, and I need to have this from there. Point being, we just need to guard our eyes of what we are looking at so that our eyes would be healthy, so that our heart would be healthy. Not earthly treasures, but treasures in heaven. Jesus says this last thing. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I've always found this verse intriguing. It just makes sense to me in my small mind. You cannot follow God and you cannot follow Satan. I get that. That makes sense. Enemies. But when Jesus says you can't follow God and you can't follow money, why does Jesus contrast God and money? It is a good chance that none of us are going to hang a picture of a serpent and bow down to it and worship him and sing to him and think about him. 
That's almost too obvious, meaning Satan, but we will do that to money. We will bend our knee to the God of gold, small g, by the way. As I was thinking about this verse, it says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve money. I was thinking about what does it really mean to serve money? How do I actually serve money? How do you serve money? Are you consumed by it? Do you think about it all the time of what you do if you had a million dollars? What you do if you had a hundred bucks? How we serve money is we give ourselves over to it. We think about it all the time. We daydream about it. We make plans with money that we don't have, with money hopefully one day that we'll get. The trap of serving money is that we get duped into doing something called spending what we don't have. And then we become a slave to it. Why? Because when we spend what we don't have, we start accumulating debt and more debt and more debt. And you have a new God and his name is money. That's the way the game works. Spend, 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 spend. Don't worry about it now. You'll figure it out later. And then before you know it, you're consumed with all of this debt of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now with all of this debt? I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And you're, you're serving money because that's what's consumed. That's what's been your focus. Again, I love Paul's instruction to Timothy and his church in Ephesus. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, like I said, money is non-moral, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's often the statement says, you know, money is the root of evil. That's not right. All kinds of evil meaning there is so much devastation and destruction and evil that comes when we love money. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That is very powerful language Paul writes with. An idea that someone is plunging themselves on a sword because of money. They've walked away, they've wandered from God in order to pursue money. Hebrews 13.5 We often quote the verse that just says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, but no one ever reads the first half of the verse. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Don't love money. Be content with what you have. Why? Then you can read the second part of the verse. Because God is with you. He's for you. He won't abandon you. He won't forsake you. Money will. Money will trap you. But God won't. Do not love money. Why can't I love money? Because God says he's with me. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus says in no uncertain terms, makes very clear, you just can't serve both money and God. And if you wonder why can't I serve both, because some of us try, the simplest answer is there can be no divided loyalties with God. God demands that we are completely, wholeheartedly devoted to him. God demands full-hearted devotion, not just partial devotion. Two treasures, uh, two visions, and two masters. I set you up at, uh, for next week. If you want to be able to sit down next time someone asks you, do you have worry, anxiety? You have to know where your treasure is, where you're looking, and whom you're serving. If you know where your treasure is, where you're looking, and whom you're serving, you'll be worry-free. And I sincerely mean that. That's not like pastor-preacher talk. I wholeheartedly believe if you know where your treasure is, if you know where your vision is, and if you know who your God is, whom your master is, who you serve, you will not have anxiety and worry. Why? Because... I don't need to worry about my treasure because it's in heaven. No one's going to take it. No one's going to steal it. It will not rust or corrode. And no little insect is going to eat away at it. I know where I'm looking. And because of where I'm looking, there is health in the core of who I am. 
And because I know who I serve, I know who I serve promises that he is with me, he is for me, never to, to forsake me or abandon me. What do I have to be worried about? I know where my treasure is, I know where I'm looking, and I know who my God is. I want to uh, finish um, uh, very briefly with, um, if you decide to have heavenly treasure, to have your eyes fixed on godly things that bring health to who you are, and if you are convinced of who you serve, or maybe even making the decision today of who you want uh, to serve, I guess just to practice, how do I do that? And I wanted to finish with, um, you have to have a plan. You have to be intentional with what you do with your money. I told you before, we have a plan for spending. Some of us have a plan for saving. But if you were to ask, what's your plan for giving? Like, are you a planned giver? Most of us just give emotionally. Oh, I feel really bad for Chile. I'll just, I'll give. I'm not saying that's bad, but some, that's the only giving we do is an emotional reaction response. Some giving is just like, oh, I had $100 in my pocket. Oh, I could live without it. It's cool. I'll just give it then. If you're just an emotional, spontaneous type of giver, that does not lead to a generous person. Because typically, the emotional response is, I want more. I'll keep it. I'll hoard it. So I just wanted to encourage you, do you have a plan for giving? And I wanted to encourage you to twist your paradigm around. Most of us have the paradigm that says, I will spend, meaning I'll pay for life, whatever my life looks like. I'll pay for you know, my rent and insurance and food and clothing and whatever. I'll, I'll spend first, then I'll try to save, and then whatever's left over, I might give. And the reality is, after I spend... And after, if I actually had anything to save, the chances of me giving anything just won't happen. And I wanted to encourage you to do it differently, to say, I will give first. I will give first, I will save second, and I will live off the rest. I'm taking this from another pastor who taught me this. This is not, I'm not wise enough to think of this on my own. But it's incredibly helpful and it says, it communicates right up front, God, I'm going to trust you with this, these finances because I'm giving to you first. I'm going to save second. And by the way, the heart of saving, do you know why you save? It's so that you can give more. You're not saving so you can have a second, third home, a third, fourth vacation. Save so that you can actually be giving more. And then you live off the rest. I, I'm not suggesting that God's calling you to go live on the street. But I am telling you that if you're going to be, to live confident of where your treasure is, of who you're looking at, vision, and whom you serve, you've got to have a plan for giving. Kyle and I decided uh, years and years ago that our heart would be we wanted to give right off the top 10% to the church. That was our conviction. We love the church. We believe that God's doing good things with the church. And we wanted to give and support uh, the work of the church. So off the top, right away, 10% goes right to the church. That might not be your conviction. That's okay. But what I love about what 2 Corinthians talks about, uh, verse 7 and 8 in chapter 9, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. So don't hear this as a speech. You have to give 10 or try to beat that. God, what should I give? Because I want to give first. Ask God. And if God says five, beautiful, give five. If God says 15, give 15. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
I really believe some of us miss out on all that God has for us because we just don't give. We don't give to God. One of the things that's helpful is be a percentage giver, not a a numeric giver. Set, pick a percent. One of the problems is, uh, say you have $100, okay? You might be like, oh, $10, I can give $10, that's cool. I can handle 10 bucks, I've got, I've got 90 bucks. I can save, then live off the rest. One of the things as the more you begin to get, say that 100 now becomes 1,000. Like, oh, gosh, 100 bucks, that's a lot of money. I'm not sure if I can give 100 bucks now. If you start thinking in terms of giving numerically, you will give less the more you get. Why? Because the numbers start to get impressive in your head. Oh, I've got $10,000. $1,000? I can't give $1,000. That's a lot of money. And we begin to get impressed with, actually, and we get greedy. We begin thinking to ourselves, I'm giving $1,000. I'm giving $10,000. And we impress ourselves with a number. Well, the quickest answer is like, yeah, but dude, you make 100000 Well, I give $20,000, or I give how much? You make $200,000. Don't be impressed with a number. Set your heart on a percent. It's helpful to protect your heart from being greedy. Because some of us make X amount, but our giving doesn't reflect what God is actually giving to us. This is just a help. I hope it's helpful for you. Do not see this as like a guilt trip. I'm trying to I really believe this is not for me. This is not for the church. This is for you. When it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's for you. God has something for you when you give. Know where your treasure is, know where you're looking, and know who you serve. And practically speaking, in order to help keep you on that path, come up with a plan to give. And then, you know what? Tell someone so that they can ask you questions. How are you doing with that? What's going on? Allow people into your finances so that you don't get stuck in a world of debt and no one knows about it. No one can encourage you, pray for you, challenge you. No one can come along to your aid because no one knows. I'm thankful that God invites us to be part of giving because I get to see God at work in the things that he stewards to me, would store to you, and I give back to him. I can honestly tell you, I've wasted so much money on stupid things, stupid toys and gadgets. I've wasted so much money on that stuff. But any money that I've ever given away, I honestly can tell you, I don't regret it. Any money that I've given to the church and to support what God's doing in the church or to support a missionary and what God's doing with them and through them overseas, I've never regretted that. Because God does something in that with me. But anytime I bought a, I won't even tell you how many iPods. It's just wasteful. It is so wasteful. I pray and I hope that as we talk about money, you've heard about money, that I'll go back to and finish with this, that we'd be generous, we'd be good stewards, we'd be lovers of God, not gold, and we would demonstrate that it is possible to live more with less. Jesus, I give thanks that you were not afraid to talk about what I am often afraid to talk about, what we are afraid to talk about. Jesus, I give thanks that you cared enough about me and you cared enough about every single person here to talk about what many of us are trapped in and just worshiping money. Jesus, I do pray that if there is anyone here today that is so on the verge of making a decision or making a choice 
to walk away from earthly treasure to store up treasures in heaven. God, if there's anyone here whose vision is split, looking at the things of the world and catching a glimpse of you, God, I pray that today vision would be restored and united to see good, to see godly things. And God, if there is anyone here today that is confused as to who they are serving, God, I pray a decision would get made here and now to no longer serve the treasure, to no longer serve the money, but to serve you and to walk with you. And God, I pray you would make it so in each of us that we would be so generous, so generous to what you are doing in this church, so generous to what you are doing around us and just in this world. God, I just pray we would be generous. God, I pray we'd be good stewards. We would think about everything that you have given us and we'd be faithful with it. We wouldn't waste it, but we'd be good stewards. God, I just pray we'd love you more than anything else. God, I pray you would use these things to show a watching world that you can't actually live more with less. We're going to worship for a bit, and as you guys are ready to come, uh, we celebrate uh, communion every single week to celebrate that God is actually generous. He generously gave his son Jesus so that we would have our sins forgiven now and forever, that if you would place your faith, hope, trust in Jesus, you would have a relationship with God now and for eternity. Our sin separates us from God, but Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, brings us to right relationship with God. If you're not a Christian, made the decision to follow Jesus, make that decision today. Just in your heart, pray, Jesus, I am done. I confess I've sinned. I repent of that. I'm going to walk with you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. If that's your prayer today, then come up and celebrate communion. If you've prayed that before and you have a relationship with Jesus, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the wine or juice and say, Jesus, thank you so much for doing for me what I could not do for myself.